The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I, uh, I told my son it's a good thing I didn't know about that story he told. Because I'd have beat the tar out of him. And she said, he said, uh, she didn't tell you, did she? I said, no, she didn't tell me. She's a woman of grace. <laughs> uh, turn with me to Second Timothy 3, if you would. Um, the point is of this sermon, you can see this, the title is Tell Me the Story Again, Mom. Uh, it, I don't think anybody would dispute the fact that a mother has a voice that the heart of her child hears like no one else. Nobody can speak to the heart of a child like a mother. And uh, today on Mother's Day that we're celebrating Mother's Day, most of us have experienced, uh, and some of you haven't, but most of you have experienced the joy of having a mother who knew Christ and, and uh, told you about him. I called my sister this week and I asked her, I said, where did you first hear about Jesus? I knew the answer, but I wanted to ask her. And she says, well, mom, of course. I said, oh, really? How was that? She said, well, everything she sang, everything she prayed, everything she said was about Jesus. So I couldn't miss it. And uh, she came to faith in Christ as a child as well. The earliest memory I have in life was uh, my mother was actually teaching me how to make bed. I was about four years old. I kind of forgot. I don't know how to do that anyway. But, but uh, anyway, she took me through the steps. And then as she was doing this, she taught me a song. The song was, uh, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And if you know the lines, it goes through that a few times. Oh, How I Love Jesus. And then it says, Because He First Loved Me. And she told me how He First Loved Me. <laughs> and... Uh, that was the, that's my earliest memory, and it's the first time I heard this story about Jesus, about what he had done for us in coming into the world and paying the price for our redemption and uh, becoming our, the propitiation for our sins, as the Bible says. Um, and this is one of the most important roles of mothers, is telling the story, the true story, and thus shaping the identity of her children. This is what uh, uh, we're told here in Second Timothy chapter four, or chapter three, rather. I'm sorry, verses fourteen through seventeen. Paul says to young Timothy, who was his right hand man for many years, he says to him, "You, however, continue in the things." He's comparing him to the evil men and impostors right up above that. He said, "But but you, on the other hand, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of." Becoming convinced of something means that you are thoroughly and totally convinced that this is true, and you act upon it. You act upon this truth that has been made known to you. And so he says, uh, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. And then he reminds him who he learned them from. He says, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The only sacred writings they had at this point were the Old Testament. And he says that these scriptures 
will lead led you to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you've ever heard that the gospel is not in the Old Testament, you were told a lie. The gospel is very clearly unveiled to us in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 was the favorite passage for the apostles to preach the gospel out of. And uh, I heard a Jewish man say one time when somebody had, he was reading his Bible, which we call the Old Testament, and he came upon Isaiah 53. And he said, he thought, well, why is, why is my Bible, the Jewish Bible, talking about Jesus? Well, that's exactly what it's doing. It's talking about Jesus because he is the eternal son of God. He is the one who called Abraham. He is the one who commanded Abraham to go and offer his son and then said to him, now I know you fear me. And he stopped him from offering his son. And then it goes, notice where, where we are in Second Timothy. If you notice, the next, very next verse says, all scripture is inspired by God and is it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, which means telling you when you're wrong. Don't you love that? Don't you love to have a partner who tells you when you're wrong? Sure. If they know what they're doing, yes, that's, that's a really good thing to, be, to find out what you're doing wrong. That's what reproof means. For correction, that's setting you straight. That's putting you back on the right path. I used to ride dirt bikes out at Point Richmond, and the thing about that place was there were so many ruts, real steep hills and ruts deep. If you ever got in a rut, you couldn't get out. The only way you could get out of a rut is you had to be knocked down and fall over, and then you could pull your bike out of that rut. That's, that's what this is describing, that the Word of God confronts you with the truth and shows you how you're wrong, and then it corrects you. It shows you the right way. And so he says it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That last phrase is talking about child training, training a child to walk, training a child to do the things in life that he needs to do so that the man of God may be adequate. Now what he's talking about, the reason he says the man of God may be adequate is that God's given us this tool, this book, which is God-breathed. You may, have, you may pick up on the fact that we actually believe this book is the very word of God. And this is, what this, text, this is what this text says. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. I think that's the way it was read this morning. Was that the NLT? I don't know what that was. That's a great translation. But that's, that's exactly what it says. Theonoustos means breathed out by God. Uh, that all scripture has been breathed out by God. Now, the reason that that phrase is used is that's what we see back in Genesis. God said, and it was so, right? He spoke this universe into existence. And so he says, this scripture is God-breathed. He created this through, and there were human authors, but he created this book through those human authors so that we would have the very word of God. I know what God's heart is because of what it says to me. I know that God loves you. Even if you're not a Christian, he loves you. And I can tell you why. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us while we were, not, we were still sinners. He demonstrated his love for us, the Father's love for us, by sending his own son into the world to die for us. The most precious thing to the Father he was willing to give in order to save us. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is all you need, is his word, because it, it tells us the mind and heart 
of God. And what I want to emphasize this morning, because it's Mother's Day, is that you moms have your children's ear. And it's really important that you take advantage of that. That you speak the truth to them. And really, it's a story. Now, the Bible is one story. I'm sure you're aware of that. It's one story. It begins with creation, and then, of course, the fall, uh, and then the calling of Abraham, and the forming of a nation, and then he making covenant with Abraham and making covenant with the nation and sending them out under Moses and so forth to, to freedom, to their land that he gave them, and then taking them through all of these trials they went through to teach them that he was their God and that he was the one who loved them. And you have the privilege of telling the story, which is the gospel, which is in the big story of God, I have, in, this is a little USB drive, and in this drive, something I carry around all the time, is a, uh, it's a series that you can download free from online. It's called God's Big Story. And it's, it's a, an unfolding of the story of the Bible in a way that you can easily understand. And I'll loan you this little pink thing. And you can put it on your computer, and then you can learn the big story. Um, when I was a, a kid and my mom was talking to me about the things of God, she told me the story. She didn't, she didn't know Greek or Hebrew, but she told me the story. She told me what God did about his creation and about uh, him calling a people and about the rebellion of those people and about sending his son into the world to purchase us, to be the propitiation for our sins. And she told me that the Bible taught that if I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I would be saved. And I didn't know what that meant. In fact, I asked one of my, my buddies, I was in kindergarten, remember this, I, I said to him, have you been saved? He said, I've never fallen out of a boat. <laughs> really? <laughs> that stopped me in my tracks. That was, uh, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> in... Um, in the Bible, you have the story of God, and it's in a book that's breathed out by God. It's his very creation. And uh, you moms, he wants you to understand where the gospel fits in this unfolding of the big story. So if you want to borrow my, my little, uh, wherever it's at, my little USB drive, I'll loan this to you. You can download this. Nine sessions, nine videos Nine sets of notes for you to teach yourself the big story. It's wonderful. That's what the Bible is. It's the big story of God. It's about all that he is, all that he has done, and what it means. And uh, who, else, who else should your children go to? Well, mom's the first place they go. So uh, I, all I want to do is encourage you as moms because you do have your, your children's ear. You have their heart. They can... No one can speak to them the way you can speak to them. I really mean that. I, I love my dad. He was a wonderful man, and he became a believer, and he talked to me about the Lord, and I saw Christ in him. But nobody could talk to my heart like my mom. He had my number. <laughs> and a and, uh, wonderful thing. And, and I have a wife that's just like that, and I'm so grateful that uh, she loves our children, and that she told them the story. Her dad was this way, too. He spent his whole life, his whole ministry was teaching children. 
little children. He loved it. He was about five foot tall, so he always fit in so well with those kids. But um, that's that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I I I, it's, I wish I could convey to you what incredible privilege it is for God to give you someone that you have access to their hearts. No doubt about it. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's something we want to pray about when we gather to pray. You have to forgive me for this. I want to turn this to another passage because this whole matter of praying has really hit me this last couple of days, especially about praying for for families and for moms to be faithful to this task that God has called them to and so forth. And I just want to have you look at a couple of passages. First of all, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. You've heard me talk about this passage before. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Peter writes, The end of all things has drawn near. What does he mean by that? Well, what he's talking about is the fact that Christ has come into the world. Christ went to the cross. This event that took place on Calvary is called the high point of the ages. Son mentioned this in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. It says, this is the key moment in all the ages. He came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So everything that we experience now since the coming of Christ, we are in the last days. It's called that over and over and over again. It's called that there in Hebrews chapter 9, but it's called that in, Paul, uh, in John. First John says that we are living the last hour. It's the last hour. Now, he wrote that in about 90 A.D., we're a long ways from there, but we are in the last hour. And then Peter says, the end of all things has drawn near because Christ has come. And then he says, therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayers. Let me interpret that for you. Uh, you need to be in your right mind so that any, any opportunity that comes for you to meet with fellow believers to pray the, the word prayer here is in the plural, and that always implies prayer meetings, people getting together to pray. So he says, always be ready, always be in your right mind, and you're thinking straight so that you could gather together with believers and you could pray. I, uh, I always treasure when a mother comes to me and says, would you pray for my son or my daughter? Uh, I'm so burdened for them. I want to see them come to know Christ. And uh, there can be so much frustration for parents. I, I spent a couple of years agonizing over this because I didn't even realize I had turned into a legalist. I was just wanting my, one of my children to look like a believer. That's all I cared. She just looked like she knew Christ. And so I was always giving her instructions. I was always giving her the law. I was laying down the law for her, how she ought to act. You know, I, you know the old line, don't forget who you are. You know, you bear our last name, and so whatever you do is going to reflect on us. Total selfishness. It's a total uh, un misunderstanding of the gospel. And so um, we need to pray for our children, and we need to pray for those that God has put in our path that we have an opportunity to bear witness to. And so we as a church... We need to pray. Well, that's, there's plenty of things we need to pray for. Remember when Jesus, he did it three times. He went into the temple in Jerusalem, and he said, my house is to be a house of prayer. 
and he drove out the money changers. You remember that. He did it at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry. My house is to be a house of prayer. Now, we understand that that building is not the temple of God. You are. You're the temple of God, both individually and corporately as believers. And so that's what our main concern is. And so we want to pray that we would be faithful. But he went on to say it's a house of prayer. This, this house is to be a house of prayer. And so the lives of a local church should be characterized by prayer. We ought to be a praying community. And so what Peter says is that we should, we should always be in our right mind. I thought that's pretty humorous to me. He says, be of sound judgment, sober spirit. But that, quite literally, that's what it means. Be in your right mind. Be sober and alert for the purpose of prayers. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If you don't believe that, then you haven't had children yet. No, because I'm telling you, no matter what my children do, that's the first time I heard that my son had done such a wretched thing. <laughs> and I never would have thought it. But the thing is, because we are parents and because of who these children are to us, we love them. That's exactly how God is. God loves his people. God loves the world. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved. I don't know how you're going to fit that into all of your theology, but that's what it says, that God desires all men to be saved. And I take it, the word anthropos could mean women and men. He isn't just talking about males. God desires all people to be saved. And so we can pray for people. God has put people in our lives, in our path, that we need to pray for. And we need to, we need to come before him. Uh, I was going to, I actually was going to say, let's meet tonight at 5 o'clock to pray. But my wife talked me out of it. She said, this is Mother's Day. Here, you can't do that. Okay. Uh, a little wisdom there from my wife. And so we're going to start in a couple weeks. But so I'm going to start, we're going to start having a prayer meeting on Sunday nights. I know prayer meeting is something that automatically some people said, well, I ain't going. Uh, well, you may be surprised. God may just burden your heart to get, come together with God's people and lift up your voice in prayer along with them. We're going to be praying through the scriptures. We won't be doing uh, prayer list prayers. We're going to do scripture prayers. We're going to go through the word of God. And all I mean by that is we're just going to read a passage and pray in response to this passage and what God's will towards us is. We're going to pray for each other. And so we're going to be praying from five, no later than six, unless the spirit really moves and, can, and uh, we want to stay longer. We can't. We have this building as long as we need it and want it on a Sunday evening. And uh, so we're going to begin to utilize it for that purpose, for prayer. We want to come before the Lord and call upon his name. We want to lay our burdens before him. We want to praise him and glorify him. We want to express our joy in him. So that's what we're going to be doing because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be a community of prayer, a house of prayer, because we are a household. We're told in 1 Peter 2 that God is building a building and he's, and he's doing it with living stones and we are the living stones and he's putting us together. And so one of the things we are to do is to gather together in prayer. 
Now, there's another passage I want to look at only because in this passage, it tells us this is to be something that's continual and spontaneous. Look with me to the little book of Jude. You can find it easy because it's right before Revelation. And Revelation is the, is the last book in the Bible. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. It is a revelation through Jesus Christ. And right before that is this little book, Jude. Jude, if you wonder who he is, is the, uh, is the brother of Jesus. In, the, in other words, they had the same mother. Mary was the mother of Jude and the mother of Jesus, of course. And uh, Jesus is, is the eternal Son of God. And so when he was conceived and born, it was a supernatural thing that the eternal Son of God became, came into this world and took on a humanity just like us so that he could be our Savior. That's why he did it. But in the book of Jude, it says down about verse 20, it says he's been talking about all of these different individuals who've fallen. He's talking about the angels and about men who have fallen. And he goes on and on and on. And then he finally gets down to verse 20. And he says in verse 20, the next page, he says, but you, in contrast, but you, beloved. And then he begins giving us something really important. He says, in contrast to all these fallen people, this is what you should do. And the main, the, very, the main part of this sentence is found down in verse 21. He says, but, uh, but you, beloved, in contrast to all have fallen. And the main sentence is, keep yourselves in the love of God. But what in the world does that mean? It means that you are to live in such a way that you experience the love of God. You experience the benefits of God's love. You know what the word love means, agape, in the New Testament? It's always the word that's used of God's love for us and our love for God. And what it means is a passionate delight, that God has a passionate delight for his children, a passionate delight. And so what he is saying here is you're to keep yourself in the sphere of God's love so that you can experience the glorious benefits of God having a passionate delight for you. Now, this is one of the most, I think this is the most amazing uh, truth in all of Scripture that God loves you. You know, there's a whole lot of people who don't love you, I'm sure, but God loves you. He loves you. He has a passionate delight for you. He cares about you. And he has paid an incredible price in order to bring you into his family. And so he says, you should keep yourselves in the love of God. That's found in verse 21. But then he puts around it three different sentences which tell you how you are to keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? Well, notice what it is. It's first building yourselves up on your most holy faith. What that means is getting together and encouraging each other in the word of God. Building each other up in the word of God, in the truth. Sometimes it's personal testimony. Sometimes it's explaining something that God has shown you and you want to share it. And this is all spontaneous and it is reciprocal. It has the idea, it's, it's actually a, a reflexive kind of way of saying things, that he's saying this is, what we should, this is how we should relate to each other. This is the way we continually relate to each other. There ought to be these spontaneous events where we run into each other and we begin to build one another up in the most holy faith. Now, if you don't know what the most holy faith is, let me explain it to you. That's an expression that's used of what's revealed in the New Testament. From Matthew through Revelation... It's this truth about Jesus Christ 
And so he says, we are to build each other up in this most holy faith, to tell each other about Jesus, to tell each other about this revelation that came through Jesus, that Jesus reveals to us who the Father is, and he reveals to us who the Spirit is. As you know, the Bible says that God sent his Son to die for us, and then he sent his Spirit in order to open our eyes to who Christ is. So like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 5 verse 4 says that um, what we ought to, that this, is the, this is what he says, that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, is a God who shines in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through the, the glory of God in Jesus Christ, in the face of Jesus Christ. So we are to be building one another up in the most holy faith, each other, uh, we ought to be sharing those things. Not you don't have to. You don't have to beat people up over some little thing that you you believe and nobody else in the church world believes. You know that, for example, that we're going the rapture in that we're all going on a rapture and we're going to be upside down. I, I met a guy one time that believed that. I don't even remember the basis of of where he got such a thing. But it amazes me sometimes we want to tell people what we believe and nobody else in the world believes. No, the, 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 what we want to do is we want, we want to build each other up in the most holy faith. That's which is revealed about Jesus in the New Testament. Because the ones who revealed it were who? They were the disciples. They were the ones who knew him. Remember, he said, I'm going to send the, the Spirit is coming, and he's going, to, he's going to lead you into all the truth, and he's going to remind you of everything I said. So here we have, in, in the New Testament, we have Jesus being quoted by men who heard him 40 years before they wrote it down. Now, maybe they had a little notebook and they wrote it down then, I don't know. But they wrote down exactly what Jesus said in the power of the Spirit. And so what was the, the result of it was a God-breathed book. I, there, it's really funny, in John seven thirty seven when Jesus it says Jesus said, he raised his voice and he shouted, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And then he went on to say, if, if, uh, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And then he said, if you are believing in me, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, did you, did you get that? Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That means that you're going to bless fellow believers. But here's what I wanted to point out. John, who's writing this 40 years after it happened, he's an old man. When he, he was older than I am. And he's writing this. And John says this. John adds this little note. He spoke this about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I've got to tell you, can you imagine a 90-year-old man remembering that? You know why he did? Because the Holy Spirit reminded him. And he wrote it down for us. And so we read this, we discover that these rivers of living water is a result of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our heart. So that out of us, out of us, that is, there's going to be something flowing out of me that's going to bless you. Something flowing out of you that's going to bless me. Isn't that wonderful? So when we get together and we build each other up in the most holy faith, the Spirit of God can be at work in us, and He can bless the hearts of His people through you. 
through me and through them. This isn't, this isn't, we're told in, in uh, this very passage, and well, actually in 1 Peter, I didn't talk about it, but in 1 Peter it says that we ought to be, every single believer has a, whole, has a spiritual gift with which he is supposed to dispense the grace of God. And so this is why we, we are the people of God, joined together as we are, as a local church, is that we are to use our gift. You are to use your gift. There's nobody here who's a believer who doesn't have a spiritual gift. That's what the Bible says. That's not what every teacher in, on the face of the earth says. It's what the Bible says, that every single believer has a spiritual gift. And Peter goes on to explain that means that you either have a speaking gift so that God will speak through you to the hearts of people, or you have a serving gift that you'll, in the power of the Spirit, you will serve in a way that builds up your fellow, your fellow believers. So when we come together, we're to build each other up in the most holy faith. But then the second thing he says, and praying together in the Holy Spirit. Praying together in the Holy Spirit. This is, again, a reflexive idea that, we, that a spontaneous combustion is going to take place. We're going to be together, and we are going to pray together. We're going to pray for each other. When somebody shares something in their life, isn't it amazing that the Spirit moves your heart and you want to pray for them? And you're going, what? I never experienced that. Oh, yes, you have. If you're a believer for, 30, for 24 hours, you've experienced that. The Spirit of God wants to pray through you, empower you to pray so that you can lift up your brother or sister in Christ. It's amazing to me how we are today because we have so many experts. You can hire just about any kind of expert there is to help you with a problem you have. But none of them compare with the Holy Spirit who is able to is, is powerful to enable you to do what God wants you to do in a given situation. And so you may not be, you may not know Greek and Hebrew, you may not have had any training in, in the Bible. But God can work in your life in such a way that you can share what he is teaching you with fellow believers and build them up. Help them to keep themselves in the, the love of God. And that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes it comes from, I've noticed this, sir, I, I, can, I know that I can be way too detailed. Don't say amen. <laughs> I know that. I know that I can be way too detailed. One gal said, you know, I... This is too much for me. I can't take all this data that you give out. You know, like I've already talked about this stuff that I've talked about. But let me tell you, sometimes it, the truth comes through a, a fellow believer that you've just said, but it comes through them and everybody gets it. I've had that happen many times. And so because we are one body, we are one body, and every one of us is a member of this body who has been gifted, and God wants to use you in the lives of his people. And so he says, this is how we keep ourselves in the love of God, that is together as a group, by building our one another up in our most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and then finally by waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, for him coming back. And what that means is, it, it should be an encouragement when I tell you Jesus is coming. When I say Jesus is coming, that should encourage you. And when you say Jesus is coming, it encourages me. I heard Watchman, I didn't hear him because he's been, he taught back in, 20, in 
1925, <laughs> but I read what he said. He had this lady uh, who was so concerned about that. She wanted Jesus to come back now, today, and she prayed for his coming all the time. And it was the end of 1925, and she said, I am convinced he's coming back this year, but it was the last day of the year. And she says, you don't think he would wait until 1926, do you? And when she prayed, she prayed that he would come back that year. And he didn't come back in 1925. And as you know, he didn't come back in 26 or 27 or 28. And, you know, all the way to, to this year, 2019. But he's coming back. And that's encouraging. It's encouraging because he saved you to give you to the Father. In fact, we're in, we're in Jude. So look at the last two verses. Get this. This is the heart of God. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. Let me explain something. The word, the word uh, with great joy is talking about the joy of Christ when he presents you to the Father. That's what it's talking about. I won't take the time to give you the grammatical explanation. I'll just tell you that when it says that he's going to present us to his, in his glory, with great joy, it's talking about Jesus' joy, not yours. You're going to have great joy too. But Jesus is going to get a glorious, joyful experience when he presents you to the Father. Because the Bible says the Father gave you to him. And he came into the world to save you. And now he's going to give you to the Father at the very end. But he's going to do it with great joy, great delight. Uh, I, I get a kick out of us because... It's amazing how we can, we can have such um, a negative view about ourselves in contrast to the, how God feels about us. That he took great delight in sending his son to redeem you. And he's going to take great delight when the, when the son presents you to the father with great joy. And God is going to take great joy in every... Jesus is going to have joy in light of every one of you when he presents you to the father. Because it's his delight to have died for you, to have been a propitiation for your sins, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself because he loves you that much and he's going to present you to the Father. So we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by, I wanted to emphasize the fact, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by gathering together as the people of God and lifting up our prayers to him. Now I can tell you this, I've, I've seen this over the years, we need to help each other in prayer. We need to encourage each other in prayer. Now, when I pray, I have to get a little pad to put down there under my knees so that I can get back up after it's over. But it's still good. It's wonderful. We have been called together as the people of God to spontaneously gather together in prayer. So we're going to spontaneously do that in three weeks. Not next week, but the following week. We're going to gather in the evening and pray. And if you're not here, I'm going to be really upset. Because <laughs> I want us to come together as his people and pray for each other. Like God has put us together for a purpose. We are a praying people. We're, this, is, this is the house of God. That is you as a people. I'm not talking about this gymnasium. I'm talking about this living stones. We constitute the house of God, and it's a house of prayer. And we want to pray. We want to bring our needs together and encourage each other in prayer. One of the best things that we can do, and we want to start making a habit of that.
now, I don't know what comes on TV at 5 o'clock, but you can do without it, I promise you. You can actually pray with God's people and be encouraged and lifted up. And uh, you, can, you can have your prayers answered because we can pray in the Spirit and He will lead us and guide us in bringing these needs before God. And so that's what we're going to do in three weeks. Okay? And uh, so you moms, I want to tell every one of you, God's given you the most amazing opportunity. You have the ability to speak to the heart of your children. That's incredible. It really is. I remember so many times, I, I remember uh, talking to my mom when I was about 16 years old, and uh, I was really worried about something in my life. I, and it had to do with my relationship with God and, and what he thought of me because of the mess I had made of so many things. And uh, she spoke to my heart. And she talked to me about the gospel. She talked to me about God's love for us in Christ Jesus and what I needed to do. She taught me how to pray. She taught me how to go to the Father. Uh, and, he, and she taught me how to confess my sins. And that's important. It's truly important. And you moms have the ear of your children. And I don't even care how old they are. They may be 35, 45, or 50. But you still have their ear. Because you gave birth to them. And God has created a relationship between you and your children that is amazing. So please take advantage of it. Please take advantage of being able to speak to them about the living God and how he's worked in your life. Let's pray. In fact, I want to have you stand with me, please. Our Father, we are amazed uh, about your love for us. It's so easy for Satan to oppose that truth to us and to try to convince us that it's not true. But Father, I believe it because it's in your word over and over and over again that you love your people. You love us, and I'm so grateful for that. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who convinces our hearts of that very thing. So I pray, Father, that we would respond to your love uh, in living our lives you know, just as you have told us to live, as you have told us to live together and to relate to one another, to pray and to build one another up. Father, help us to take these things seriously, I pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction to our hearts and we would respond in his power in faith and obedience. Thank you for these wonderful believers and for their love for Christ. And I pray that you'd work in our church. Make us a, a house of prayer, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.